Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to starting a counseling practice podcast. I am one of your hosts, Miranda Palmer from Zinimi, and we have the amazing Amy Buccieri um, sharing her story of starting a counseling practice. Amy, thanks for being here today. Oh, this is so fun. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I always like to start these, um, these podcasts with the same question for everybody, and it's a really hard one, which is okay. like in a minute or less, why did you decide to become a therapist? I, <laughs> I feel like it was in, in all disclosure, it's kind of like the only thing I really knew that I'd be able to do that would be able to, that like I could do it. I knew that inside of myself and I knew there was a place to put that in the world so that it would be useful to other people. Mm. So that's, so it felt like there was a real congruency there, you know, other kind of things I think about like, oh, I want to be a performer or uh, an academic or whatever. Like that, that was a lot harder to figure out how to put that into the external world in such a way that it would allow me to eat for the rest of my life. So, (laughs) you know, I, I, early on when I was thinking about the academic thing, I saw an article somewhere that I remember this was like a flashball moment. And I was like, okay, and we're done with this now. There, there was an opening for a tenure track position in anthropology at Columbia University and they had 800 applicants. And I was like, I don't know if this is really gonna feed me cause I'm not that good. Yeah. You know, well, like I'm just not that good. So let's, <laughs> you know, uh, so let's, let's do what it is I know I can't do. So yeah. here we are. And that you have, you have more control over than yes. that space of, you know, it's kind of like, here's this acad- academia space of, you have to kind of go through all of these kind of checkpoints. And some of these are political and some of these are bureaucracy and relational kind of stuff versus really as a therapist, we get to. I know sometimes we're yeah. like, I don't want to, but like we get to put ourselves out into the world directly. Bingo. And, we, and you've always been able to do that. And I, I love that. Yeah. About even, even just, even just hearing you say this, you're like, oh, and there's the bureaucracy and the politics and the, I, I could just feel this like brown, sad goo in my heart at yeah. the thought, <laughs> the thought of being within like that structure yeah. um, that has its own agenda right? Like when we work in a bureaucracy, it has its own agenda. And that agenda may not necessarily be helping clients, bettering our communities, taking care of ourselves over the long term. It has like its own goals. And we have to kind of bend to that when we work in this big systems. And I didn't really put that together until later, which is why I think I'm still doing it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what age did you realize that you wanted to be a therapist? Was that like from the beginning mm. or was it something you kind of stumbled onto later? Yeah. So that would have been about, um, I'm going to say it was like 14. You're um, early, early like that. Like that's really early to like. Yeah. It was like right around puberty. And I'm like, I need to figure out how to do this. 
And I started uh, volunteering at the, that summer at like a YMCA camp. I'm like, okay, that's something I can do at 14 or I remember I couldn't drive. Like my mom had to drive. <laughs> so I was like 14 or 15 when I did that. Um, yeah. So this like has always been in the works. Yeah. And I tried, I cannot even, I don't know maybe if I, if I would, I should have listed these, how many different things I've tried and been like, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do this. I could be an anthropologist and I'll be an opera singer and I'll be I don't know, volcanologist. I mean, whatever. But this is always what I came back to. And like I said, it started at like 14. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So how long from the from the time that you started college until um, finishing up your degree, how long did that take for you? So I did the typical college, 18 to 22. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to grad school at, uh, I'm an MSW. And mm-hmm. I went back to grad school, I think at 26. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went back to grad school 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started in a counselor ed program. And that just didn't, that ended up just not being the right match for me. And then I transferred to an MSW program, finished up there in 2008, just when the Great Recession was happening, was when I finished. So I finished my undergrad when the tech bubble burst in 2000. And I finished grad school during the Great Recession in 2008. Um, so getting, getting my feedback on the ground after grad school like took a minute. Like it, a lot of places weren't hiring. It was hard to find a position. I'm still tr- at that point, I'm still looking to like get licensed and build my hours and do all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think I, so then I got my license August of... Let me think about this. When was that? Like, it would have been like August of 2011, I think. Okay. Was when I got my license. So I was like 33, 32, yeah. something like that. Three years, which in the midst of the Great Recession, that's not too bad. That's not, not too, too bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been, been a lot worse. Could yeah. have been a lot worse. Yeah. And then how long did it take you to realize like, I really want to do, or like, I'm ready to start my private practice from the point that you were licensed. Oh, that was a very, I took a very, very conservative road. And this is also like part of my story that may resonate with some people um, that I, I think I can do it, but not yet. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like a tagline. I don't know. It's like a bumper sticker or something in my like spiritual life. Um, I think I can do it, but not yet. So I got licensed in 2011 and promptly got laid off. Um, so, so the couple of years that I was at that agency getting my licensure hours, now to be fair, like during the job interview, they told me that um, this was a pilot program that I was going into and it may not be around forever. I was a mobile therapist in geriatrics. Yeah. So they decided to start this, but they didn't really have a way to fund it. Yeah. And they didn't figure it out in the two years that I was in a couple of years I was doing it. So they were like, all right, we're going to lay you off. You can go and work in the mental health, like, like the standard sort of like mental health clinic that we have here at this nonprofit, um, community mental health nonprofit. It was actually much bigger than just mental health. But um, they said, you can do that if you want. This is a position that's open or we'll lay you off. And I was like, E-er-er. I'm going to take the layoff and go and work in a group practice now that I have my license. Mm. So 
you know, this was one of the moments that obviously I was in the right place, the right time doing the right thing because of the practice I fell in with was a lovely, lovely place to work. Mm -hmm. Not everybody gets that experience in group practices, I realized afterward, Um, but it was great. I'm still friends with the office manager. Um, Her husband would like make us, make all the clinicians chili for lunch once a month. Like it was just, it was just a really clinician-centered place. It was run by a psychiatrist. There were two other part-time psychiatrists there and somewhere from like six to eight different clinicians working part-time or more hours or whatever. Very flexible. I learned a lot. Mm. I find that once I'm going from community health to private practice would have been a much steeper learning curve. So to go from community health to a private um, practice, like outpatient um, group practice was great experience. So I understood documentation better. I understood my own clinical style better. Um, I, I learned things about like how to collaborate with psychiatrists, especially when you're referring to like higher levels of care. So it was actually a really, really good experience. Yeah. And they let me decrease my load there as I was increasing my load under my own practice. Mm-hmm. So the day came that it was just an easy step over into full-time private practice for me. And I stayed longer than I think I should have, I realized in mm-hmm. retrospect. Um, but I went into practice, uh, private practice full-time for myself in the fall of 2014. Awesome. So really even that, you know, a couple of years, like to, to, years. to like, and it sounds like in a way that felt really good for your nervous system. Very good for that. Well, that's a right way to put it. It felt really good for my nervous system. Really good for your nervous system of like, let me learn and let me just slowly transition until it's a no brainer. And like, there's no, like where your, your boss is like, why are you still here? Like, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And in those couple of years when I was working in the, in the group and I was seeing, you know, whoever came into the group, it was sort of a general practice group, um, somewhat higher acuity maybe because the psychiatrist who was the head of the practice was also the the chair of psychiatry department in a nearby hospital. So it, so it was probably a slightly higher acuity during that time I was developing my specialty. So I was in all my trainings and whatever to become, so I'm a certified, uh, Imago couple therapist and I'm a certified sex therapist, a sex certified sex therapist. I'm also now since that time, EMDR certified and I'm a certified, um, sex therapy supervisor. So I can help other people get their certification. Um, but getting the, the couples therapy and the sex therapy down while I was at the group practice, it just became obvious to everybody that I was going to, I needed to kind of do my own thing because those skills weren't going to be well utilized in the group. Yeah. Awesome. So tell me what your practice looks like today. So my practice is steady for sure. So like on the business side, um, my best guesstimate, I should have looked this up too. So sorry about this. My best guesstimate is that I probably take about um, 15 to 20% of the people who request appointments with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing that consistently for years. It's interesting. That didn't, when I went from insurance to private pay, that didn't actually, that percentage actually didn't change, which mm. really kind of surprised me. So mm. I'm always having, there's always a lot more interest than I can actually accommodate. Um, even over COVID, when I like added extra slots, I, I still, you know, it's, it's still about 15 to 20%. Um, I have a lot of long-term clients or somebody I see in a couple of days. And he and I have been working together since I think 2012. 
Mm. Yeah, so we just had an we have like our 11 year anniversary. Um, <laughs> so, so I think of client retention as being, and also return clients, right? As, as being a big part of my business. Like the longer I do this, the more people will say like, okay, we dealt with this thing that we had to deal with, thank you. And then they come back a few years later, something else emerges that they wanna deal with. And that always feels like a great compliment. Yeah. And that's another thing that I, that the longer I'm in practice, the more like, I don't know, repeat customers. I'm sure. Well, I think the, the more like self-sustaining, the more you have not just what's coming from your website, but like these are already the people that you're working with. And I think yeah. there's something beautiful too, and that I can hear like, yeah, there's long-term people, but there's also where you, okay, it's time to graduate. Yes. I think people underestimate how powerful it is to graduate your clients mm -hmm. to make sure that they really understand the progress that they've made and let yeah. them come back when they're ready to work yes. versus having people just in there the entire, the entirety. Cause I think yeah. sometimes it can get very stale and it also yes. can give people like it, it can actually inhibit clinically and it can mm -hmm. inhibit your private practice growth. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. I think I have some, I, I noticed working with couples, I have, there's a lot more um, clarity, I think around episodes of care. It's just been sort of my, you know, observation and it's, it's great, right? As a couple and sex therapist, couples will come in and things shift and then they have a baby and then they take some time off, right? And then they come back and they're like, oh God, now we're parents. Now we don't know what to do. And then we, then we, we figure that out. So um, the episode- they have tweens and then they have teens. And then exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so as all of those things kind of change over time and their needs change, um, they they take time away and can come back and- um, that's, that's, that feels like a, that feels like a, a really nice compliment, right? That I have people who can circle back. Yeah. Um, so and, and I, it's, a, yeah. it's a compliment, but it's also like uh, people are getting good care consistently. I think, right? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, hopefully they're not just coming back out of obligation. <laughs> that's my hope. That's like, weird. <laughs> that'd be so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be really insulting if we didn't call her. She'll somehow know that like right. we went to a different couple therapist to work on this other issue. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I have referred people to other couple therapists too. Like maybe we're not a good match or this would be somebody who would be helpful. So I try really hard to be open about that as well. Yeah. With people because I know I'm not always a good match 100%. Yeah. Now, is your private practice your only gig? Do you have multiple streams of income? Like, what's what does your life look like? Well, um, yes and no. So, I am I am in a long term relationship, and he, I guess, I don't know, he's considered a stream of income. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm definitely the breadwinner in the family. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I'm not the only income in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have over time, I done some, like I said, um, supervision, mm -hmm. right. To supervise people to become, um, a sex certified sex therapists. Um, I found that that's something I want to work in a very particular kind of way that I haven't quite massaged because mm -hmm. I find that the, um, I just don't get kind of the satisfaction. I don't think out of like a conventional sort of supervision relationship that other people do, mm -hmm. um, because I see like some of my supervisors, they love it. And I don't feel that way. So I'm like, all right, how can I make this work? So yeah. 
my goal is to kind of craft that into um, just sort of short ways that I can issue short term um, CEs or supervision hours to people, maybe doing like a retreat or a workshop or something, because I feel like that would be a better match for me. So yeah. I'm kind of playing with ways to, to still use that supervision credential. Um, I do, I am looking to, I actually just came from a cup of coffee with somebody and we're going to start exploring um, retreats, doing mm -hmm. retreats for people together. So super exciting. Mm -hmm. um, she's also an Imago um, certified th uh, couple therapist. So it's a good match. Um, she's super great. Kim Sapp, awesome, look her up. Um, and I also, just because I called him up one day and said, hey, I wanna, I wanna do this. How can we figure it out? I teach CEs through a group practice in my area in Pittsburgh. It's really big, but he also, he's working on a national reach. So I teach CEs under his umbrella for, um, for therapists about sex therapy, like intro to sex therapy kind of thing. It's been fun. I've done it several times and that's, that's pretty good. I mean, that I've been, I've done it several times. Um, I think this year will be my fourth, my fourth round. Um, and that at this point is coming down to earning me about a thousand dollars an hour. Yeah. So working, working on more options. Um, I keep going back and forth about like, do I want to buy a rental property? Verdict is still out, but I do appreciate how the entrepreneurial kind of demand of being somebody in private practice has really pushed me to think about these things in ways I never would have before. And it helps me actually, as much as sometimes being on my own can feel risky, um, but it, it's kind of forced me to take on responsibility for taking care of myself in a way I wouldn't have otherwise. So I think in some ways, maybe it seems risky, but it's forced me to do the work to keep myself extra safe, I'd say. Oh, I love that. I think that there are so many of us who were not taught financial safety. We weren't taught financial planning. We were taught almost a little bit of like a codependence in terms of what happens with, with employers. And so we get into these unhealthy relationships and then we go, well, I remember working at the county and, you know, I came from a nonprofit, so I came to the county and I'm like, this is great. Like compared to the nonprofit, <laughs> like, like, sure. like yeah. um, you know, I'm making twice as much per hour that I was making at the nonprofit. Like this seems fantastic. And people are like, yeah. this is horrible. And then when I went into private practice, people were like, how are you going to do this? Like you, it's going to be so, um, you know, unsafe. What if something happens? You won't have an income. And then my private practice, and I actually opened it during the great recession, right. In 2007, Aww. 2008, <laughs> I did it. it actually like legitimately flourished while awesome. my coworkers at the County were getting furloughed and their benefits were coming down oh. and all of these other financial things were happening where like they had their job, but suddenly their job like completely changed their income changed versus for me, I was able to keep moving my income up. And then when my former spouse, like he got laid off <laughs> during the great recession, then I doubled down on what I was doing with my business and mm -hmm. realized, oh, I could just see a couple more people per week. I could just raise my fees a little bit to mm -hmm. take care of the benefits. 
And it was such a, um, it was such an empowering experience. Yes. Uh, it really was empowering. And I think especially even at like watching, like I had a parent, a mom, or I have a mom, let me be clear. But <laughs> when we were growing up that she had like a craft business and she never really like took to learning how to run a business. So it was just this very crazy thing that didn't bring any money in it. It was just this like cycling piece. So I hadn't seen what it looked like to see a successful woman yeah. and always very dependent on other people. Yeah, you know? totally. It felt, um, it felt just so empowering. Like, truly. yes. And I mean, I'm from Pittsburgh. It's a union town. It, you know, it was a steel town that lost its identity, like shortly before I was born in the mid seventies, I was born in the late seventies, just I would say those extra couple of years, but the steel industry <laughs> fell in the mid seventies. <laughs> um, I'm the elder. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, and and my dad wasn't in the steel industry, but he was always in in the union, right? Mm -hmm. So there were strikes and people getting laid off, and just like, how does this work? And like you said, like you didn't really have an example. I. I didn't know how any of this worked. My mom was a homemaker. My dad was a unit guy. So was everybody around me. And I really didn't get it. But I can say um, that my, some part of the, maybe subconsciously, I don't know, but my supervisors that I've learned to become a therapist, people I've hired as consultants, supervisors, depending on what word people use, was so empowering to see a, a woman who could mm -hmm. say like, I'm going to figure out how to take care of myself and my family and I'm savvy and I know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm not afraid and I don't feel guilty and I don't feel like it's not okay to take, like it's okay to take care of myself. And I learned that really from my supervisors mm -hmm. in this work, specifically Gail Gutman in the Washington DC area, who is an amazing person, an amazing businesswoman, a fabulous mm -hmm. clinician. Um, yeah, and I feel so grateful for her example, because um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have gotten it anywhere else. But this community of, you know, of, of I, I do find that in the therapy world, I find women do doing pretty amazing things that I just hadn't seen otherwise. Yeah, and yeah. I love that you were connected in with the community because I've I've seen both dynamics, mm -hmm. and I think especially with women, I've seen women in communities where it's this very big thing of, well, oh yes, I do this thing and I, I do sliding scale to give back and I yes, do this and yes. pay what you can and you yes. find out more and you go, oh, and then you find out, oh, their, their income is the side income. Their, their spouse yes. is running the household and their income pays for a vacation every year or to totally. read the kitchen or whatever mm -hmm. the thing is. It's not the sustaining piece of it. And so it was, it's a very interesting space. And even I've heard of so many people, right. Through our business school, I get to hear all the great stories and then all the terrible stories of people, you know, seeing somebody in the hall and they say, you know, Oh, I was going to refer someone over here. Oh, Hey, what's your fee? And they just say, Oh, it's, you know, 165 or 225 or whatever the number is. Sure. You know, yeah. oh. you know, so mm -hmm. I love that you were tapped into 
a community like that modeling is yeah like, I think we underestimate it I think you're right I, I think yeah I think that's right it had I and I still look for that because I'm in my market here in Pittsburgh very 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 few people are direct pay yeah um and so it still feels like often an uphill battle so staying in connection with other people who value I don't know like working for the client, not working for the third party payer. Um, yes. It's hard, right? And that's really why, I mean, part of the reason for sure, like my motivation is I don't want to work for the insurance company. I'm here to work yeah. for a client. Um, and also, as I, I will say too, this my sex therapy um, specialty is often not covered by insurance, which, yeah. which is, you know, just as what it is. We can have a whole yeah, we could have a whole conversation yeah. about that. Or again, the fact that in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic, the yeah. health insurance companies in the United States made more money than Amazon and Amazon had their best year ever. Like it's that. not just we're working for the insurance company, we are helping the insurance companies have exorbitant amounts of profit. Yeah. While therapists are often sitting going, why can't I afford to get my own therapy or mm. wait, I can't afford to buy my own health insurance. Like something's, something's broken in the system. So the more that we can stand and say, you know what, everybody gets to make their own choice. But for me, this is what I choose. Yeah. It, yeah. It, you know, it, it allows for, for good services. So yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, I, I also want to say in terms of people I admire, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this, that the first time I had a touch with you guys, and I don't know if you and Kelly were even business partners, I don't know how long you guys have been doing this, but many moons ago, Melissa Hall had an online summit. Do you remember that? Was that like uh, 14 or something, <laughs> 13? Like that was like 10 so, years ago. So we've been around longer than Melissa Hall had the summit. So okay. I think it was about like 10 years ago. I think, um, but yeah, we, we, we helped Melissa Hall develop her QA prep. Like she wasn't sure what she wanted to do when she came to us. So we've, yeah. been, we've been around since, um, I think it's 2010. So I think we're on the year 13. Happy anniversary. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. But that was the first exposure I had to Melissa and to Roy Huggins and yeah. to Kelly and I remember I don't think Miranda I don't think you were speaking at that summit I know Kelly did I didn't think you did yeah okay. and and a handful of other people that I was like wait a minute there's actually people out there who've like figured this out and it sounds like what they're doing is something that is like sustainable that that feels like my catchword like is this really something I can do over the long term. And yeah. everybody was talking about a way to have a practice that really felt good for the long term. Yeah. And it was, it blew my mind. It was so helpful. Um, yeah, it was so, so helpful. But that was my first touch with you guys all, all those years ago. Right. So it feels kind of, I'm, I'm so glad to be able to tell you thank you. <laughs> like that's so great. You know, pass that on to Kelly. I'm so, I'm so I will. I will. I think that thank is you. the piece is. I think, you know, for most of us, we were going to school full time and then sometimes we're working full time, we're gathering hours and we get into this space of overwork that starts to feel <laughs> normal, you know, uh -huh. like 
You talked uh-huh. about your dad being a union guy. My dad did heavy equipment. He's part of the operating engineers. And it was, you got to work when you can get it, right? Totally. This is totally. how it is. So that 60, mm-hmm. 70 hour work week, like just kept going. And that dynamic of going, oh, wait, like my body is shutting down. Like this isn't just <laughs> for a minute. Like right. something else is happening. Like for, for me, it looked like autoimmune disorder kind of stuff um, popping up in my body, but it looks different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And then sitting and looking and going, oh, wait, everyone that I've modeled who is, they're all working 60, 70 hours a week around me. Of course, I'm going right. to do that. I'm teaching and I'm doing clinical supervision, you know, I'm teaching for two or three different schools and right. The free flyer. And I'm also doing, you know, this other thing or the County in my private, it was just so much. And to to sit down and to go, wait, would I, would I want this for my client? Like for my question, for my therapy client, I would say, what are you doing? (laughs) This doesn't make any (laughs) sense. Totally. And I really live out you know, this other piece, I think yeah. it's, it's a beautiful, um, it, it's just such a beautiful scenario of how we can really take our own learnings and create a community around us to change the story mm-hmm. and then to mm-hmm. like expand the story out of there. You know, Melissa yeah. was actually one of the first people that went through our business school, um, and then there are people like uh, Nicole Stoller Peterson that does therapist co- court prep. And um, there's yeah. like a thousand names like swirling through my head, but I'm terrible with names. But it's a funny thing of um, of how all these people are now out in the world training other therapists. Yeah. And it just like warms my heart, like that that place of like when you bring people together and you create something that's like shifting and new and different. And like that really resonates with people from a heart space. It yes. really does like change the landscape. And yeah. 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 Every, and, and I think the, everybody can benefit, right? Clients benefit, the therapist benefits, the advisor benefits, everybody can benefit. Um, and I, we don't always, you know, that doesn't always, it certainly didn't always feel that way when I was working under insurance, Yeah. you know, like the number of conversations I have with people and I, I'm not looking to slam on on people who are carrying insurance, but it's really complicated. And anybody who's done it knows that. Like, all right, so I have to go and like do this, do this little thing because there's these like rules and guidelines and timelines and um, requirements and all this. But like, it's it's a it's a uh, it takes a big chunk out of my energy because managing that type of work that's sort of like. Um, quality assurance or regulation adherence or kind bureaucracy, of bureaucracy, right? Going back and to- all the bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like all of that feels like it's like a job description in and of itself. It is. Um, I, I, have to, I have to interrupt for just a second. Yeah. Hilarious. I don't know if you've seen psychotherapy means. Um, I don't think so. Artster, D arts, I forget how I say her last name, but psychotherapy means on Instagram is fantastic. And she's like, anytime I, and and again, I'm horribly paraphrasing it. It was like, every time I don't believe in myself, I just think about how, like, um, how I must be awesome because, you know, and she name drops like three insurance companies that they believe I can cure severe depression in three sessions. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, yes. I love it. 
I love it. I love it. That's hilarious. I, I shared it on oh. Instagram and I actually have a friend, a, a, an amazing friend, but he's in like the high, high ups of one of the insurance companies and he like responded. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, hey, this is Oh, that's so funny. Like, what are we doing? Sometimes I think, I think therapists can be so funny. I would totally be down with going to like a therapist comedy, like, like festival because I've known people who do like improv and to see some therapists who are also stand-up comics would like totally make make my day I don't know who those people are but like I know I know one person who actually like went and performed as a therapist Jessen Prada she's in in Southern California I'm gonna write her down I bet we could like find some and I don't she did it for a while now she's in a pickleball but I wonder if we talked to Jess. Now she's in a pickleball. Now she's in a pickleball. <laughs> she got injured, so maybe she'll be coming maybe back. She, all right, maybe it's her uh, coming out of retirement. All right, that'd be good. <laughs> I would love that. It. I would so, love it. So let's talk a little bit as we kind of near the end. Like, what are some things in private practice that you are like struggling or what's next for you in private practice? You remember our business school, we we're kind of talking before about like, yeah some like reminders of, of how we could help with whatever's next. Cause you know, sometimes people join and then you don't look at it for a while and you don't even know all the things we've added. So I thought it'd be fun for, for sure. us to dive into what's next and give you a little mini coaching session. Yeah, that'd be great. So before we record it, right, we talked a little bit about my website, which I'm looking to redo, yeah. but another thing that's on my horizon and any kind of, this would be so great. Like I've been doing this for a while, you know, like I've been licensed now about a dozen, almost a dozen years. My, I have my, my niche, my specialty. Um, I have a good reputation. I, I hope, you know, it seems to in the, in the community, I enjoy marketing like, I feel like that those kind of wheels are, are moving along pretty well, but I do keep thinking about um, what would it be like for me to envision a group practice? Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And I really think about a group practice like in a, in a very niche kind of way. Yeah. For a long time, I think I felt scared off from it because I think kind of what I do is maybe so niche. Um, it would be hard to find people who are qualified, but I have some other ideas, like people who are doing... Um, therapy that's sort of in that, this is how I've been thinking about it, it's sort of in that space between um, like evidence-based PubMed and like sunning your perineum and goop, you know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> no, no disrespect to anybody who wants to, you know, worship the sun god in that way. However, I just, you know, safety first, I guess, is my only ask. Because uh, I'm going to, I am going to, we're going to have. You're going to do that, Miranda. You don't have to share it. You can keep no, it. this is fantastic. <laughs> this is going to be the quote for this episode. Okay. It's somewhere between <laughs> evidence-based PubMed and sunning your perineum. <laughs> I, I'm so stoked about it. Like I'm I was, so glad that's well received. I really wasn't sure how that was going to land. myself to be. So I think that there, there is a space in there, right? Where we talk about things that are, we, we can all recognize, like there are some limitations to the most conventional forms of therapy. We've all, by, by the time we're probably 
at this point in private practice, we've run into all kind, we've run into various kinds of um, head scratchers in terms of our blocks. But then I, I also think most of us are going to say, but I don't think like aromatherapy is going to fix it either. You know, mm -hmm. like that's not the that's not the 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 thing that's going to fix it. So what's happening in what I'm starting to think of in my own mind in this therapy 2.0 space, right? That is maybe more based on the experiential evidence in the moment, as opposed to like a double blind top down kind of um, injection of data. What, where, what kind of practices are doing that kind of work? And maybe it's because a lot, some of those kinds of practices or clinical approaches just don't have the, the research body built up yet. I think that's true for a lot of things. Um, and maybe because of the politics of getting that in place, that's not always going to happen, right? That may not always happen. People ask me questions about sexuality as a sex therapist. They ask me questions about sexuality all the time. Like, I don't know, something like, what, how, um, at what age do people like stop masturbating or something? I'm like, there will never be research money to know that answer. I'm really sorry. Like, I wish I could give you some information about these things, but that we're never going to know <laughs> when they die like, yeah, when they die. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So we can certainly, right. Whatever the question, I know there's, there's better questions than that. Those are like, well into my head, but you know, there are a lot of pieces of data we're just never going to get to, but does that mean it's not important? I wouldn't say that's true either. So well, these are the okay. kind of things I'm thinking of. So. Yeah. Okay. Me. So hit a me. couple things. So since you joined business school, right. Yes. Yes. A while ago. Um, we actually have not just our website of exactly how to build and what to write on each page and how to write it in a way that really makes sense for you, yeah. but we actually have a template um, right. that is there so that is a starting point that you can put all the material in. Right. And what we found is that if you line out and get that content in, and then you give that to a designer, if you want to invest in a designer, mm -hmm your website is going to be more converting and it's going to be a much better experience. Most people start with a design mm -hmm. and then they come back and try to give the content to fit into the design. Got and it. that design doesn't necessarily support the words. Now you Makes can sense. have an ugly website with great words and you can bring clients in. But if you have a beautiful website with not the best words, you are not going to bring clients in, right? Okay, that makes right? sense. I can understand so, that. So we really believe in content first mm -hmm. and that the design supports the content. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. you need to be massaged and maybe like, oh, make this more concise. This is too wordy here or whatever, like shorten this tagline. Like there'll be tweaks, but start one to the other first. And that's how we teach you inside of the business school. And we've broken up our website module and it's much, it's much easier to kind of go page by page through the writing. We like we've revamped, which is Perfect. great. Um, and then of course, we're, we're also teaching you how to go in and make sure that the analytics are in there mm -hmm. so that we can look at the data because yep. the amount of times that somebody puts a new website up and then something changes and they, and they're like, oh, wait, no one's coming. Like what's happening. Mm -hmm. And they don't know, is this because my SEO dropped? Sometimes web designers, they will just give you a beautiful website and they'll strip out all of your search engine optimization 
because that's not included in a web design package. So we, we make sure that you're looking at all aspects of, yes, there's the pretty, there's the content and there's the SEO. We need all of these things in flow for your, your website to do what it wants to do. Now, this other part in terms of the group practice, which is really exciting, especially hearing that there's, you know, hey, I'm taking 20% of of who's calling me right now. For years. And the website's going to do two things. One is that we can actually create the website so that it's more clear who you really want to work with, so that we could actually reduce the amount of inquiries. So you're spending less time navigating the 80% that are not appropriate for you Mm -hmm. um, and attract more of the people that you want. And then, so we can save some time in terms of all the referral out kind of stuff and point people in the right direction. Or again, if, if a lot of these could be appropriate, or if we could look at this data in terms of who, who you might want to hire. Yep. For this 80%. Some of this 80%, like they should, they shouldn't contact you. Like they're just not appropriate. True. And yeah. then some of these people could be served by other other people um, within your organization. And you can decide who fits in this broader umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so um, we have a group practice roadmap that takes you step by step through awesome. moving your practice into a group practice. And this is all with your lifetime membership in business school. Awesome. Like it's all there for you. Um, Our next intensive working session where Kelly and I and our other, we actually have more coaches now too, to support. Congratulations. I know. Very exciting. So great. Um, We're all there um, October 6th. It'll be two intensive weeks where we're in answering questions, making you videos, going over your website with you, helping you rewrite copy, whatever you need for those two weeks. We're there for that. Awesome. Right. Awesome. If your timeline doesn't align with that and you want to do something else, we do have some other coaching options we could talk about. But like ultimately, I think that's the space. If you haven't been logged in in a little while, you just email help at zinnyme.com because we did move it a couple of years ago over to Mighty Networks. Um, It has a little app so you can access everything from your phone, which is really nice. Um, and all the communities in there, we don't, we don't do any of the community stuff on Facebook anymore. Like we hate Facebook. <laughs> we don't want you seeing ads <laughs> while you're trying to get coaching and yeah. silly stuff. Okay, fair enough. Um, so we pulled everything off of there. So I think okay. for, for, for me, I definitely say before you invest in anything else in terms of your group practice or the website, come back to this like centering place you have access to it, like let's dig in there and then we can figure out if you need more support. But we have so many group practices that have gone through our process and we it's like everything is in there. That's how awesome. to get your employee manual, how to do hiring job descriptions, offer letters, firing people, performance improvement plans, like um, how much to pay them. Um, I know you had even mentioned that idea of like, oh, I'm looking at raising my fees a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, so we have our calculator has expanded in like a crazy sort of way. And it's actually, it can move from your individual to get really clear on what your fee can be. And then it expands into the group practice calculator on how to calculate how much to pay your employees. Oh, that's great. Cause and that's, like how to that feels very, everything. yeah, that feels very beyond me right now is, and, and I realize moving forward, I've heard 
as I'm sure we all have, it's probably why it's in there, right? I've heard so many horror stories, yeah. right? About people who have group practices and even people who are really good at it. Like, let's be fair, like it is still a risk. You know, I've heard stories about embezzlement. I've heard stories, multiple stories about embezzlement, actually fraud. Um, one woman who had a really well-respected, beautiful, um, amazing group practice for seven years decided to close it. And I, I called her out, but I, I wanted to talk to her about it. Like, what happened? Like, you were doing so great. And she said, well, uh, at the end of the day, I realized I was making about $5 an hour doing this because I just, and she's like, I can't live like that. That um, the amount of people who are paying their employees to work there, meaning if they were just doing solo practice, yes. they would make more money. Yes. They are making while they're working more, like the amount of times that happens. And that's why we integrated into business school. We didn't right. think it would be, we're just like, oh, we'll do this business school. And then we didn't think like, oh, we're going to do this for group practice in particular. And then of course, all our people start expanding. So we just have expanded over time because we want people taken care of. That's great. It's great. And it, it uh, yeah, I just heard so many stories about missteps and mistakes and worries and court cases and all kinds of stuff that the fact that I don't have to kind of start from scratch feels like it makes my little heart relax. <laughs> we so, have got thank you. Thank you to you guys. It's amazing. Got you. And even the, the coaches that we hired um, are both group practice owners. Um, we we help both of them with their group practices. One is now a seven figure practice. Um, and it's somebody that literally came to me making less money than what they would have made solo. And they were making like 15 or $20,000 a year while having a full caseload. <laughs> yeah. I, like I'm, the, I'm glad she got some help. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, my God, this amazing. is such a great conversation. I'm so glad we got to catch so, up today. Me too. This was super fun. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, thank you yeah. for all the, the advice and the, the encouragement. Um, and yeah, like I said, be careful if you're going to go do any nether sunning, nether region sunning. Just, you know, <laughs> just keep that. Here we mind. go. We're going <laughs> to activity at the group practice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Just what it's, do you do? I remember the first time I was watching something on Instagram, there was a guy like sitting in front of a window, like talking and he's like, I'm sunning my testicles right now. And there's actually on PubMed, if you go into, into, into PubMed and the, and the sunning of the testicles, it increases testosterone um, in men. So we actually have some data, of course, for men. Not I for love women. it. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Like, take it away. Like, should it put on sunblock or like, I don't, I'm going to have to look up the article because I just. No, my, my naturopathic doctor, I'm just going to go for it and say this. My naturopathic doctor was like, you need to get sun and you need to sun your nipples in particular. Um, really? I know. There's some data. So she's like, here's the data, okay. but that is. So I, I don't watch anything with goop or with the other, other part of that, but I, I am, you know, aware of some of these other pieces where I just go, I just, I just don't know, but I'm the person that goes to Google scholar and I'm like, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm all about it. And, and, you know, like I, 
I also want to be one of those people maybe who has like strong opinions loosely held, like prove me wrong. Same. You know, like I'm all about it. Prove me wrong. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll stick my boobs out a window every once in a while if that's going to make a difference. That's cool. <laughs> I come down. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> I hope your neighbors do too. Yeah. <laughs> much fun. This is so much fun. I can't wait to see you back in business school. Lifetime oh, thank you. Um, for those of you listening, thank you so much for being here. You can go and find out more about this at zinnyme.com forward slash podcast. You can see the show notes. We have free resources for you over 10 hours of free training to help you get started. And of course we have our business school, um, for therapists that rocks. So until next time, y'all, um, just remember you are really desperately needed out there. Um, and you deserve to be taken care of, um, in this work. And thank you everybody listening for your work. It's a big deal. Thank you. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.